It's from the soundtrack to the new film Broken Flowers. That wraps it up for the new music show this week. Stick around for Grey Matters beginning very soon. Hi, this is Pauline Oliveros, and you're listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And Broken Flowers, uh, just a segue from the last DJ. Uh, apparently that's the new uh, Jim Jarmusch movie starring Bill Murray and a variety of other, uh, <laughs> shall we say, prima donna female actresses. And uh, most critics are saying it's the best thing he's done in years. So I uh, look forward to that. Uh, probably coming to the Michigan Theater uh, sometime soon, probably sometime in September. Although I think uh, if you really want to see it, you can go uh, out to one of the movie theaters in Detroit because I believe it's opening this week here in the metro area. Well, we had some uh, feedback problems there briefly. <laughs> Or perhaps we've just entered the monolith. And while we're mentioning films, I'll uh, give a quick, in case I forget, at the end of the program, uh, tomorrow night is a chance to see uh, one of the great films of all time, 2001 A Space Odyssey, in a 70-millimeter print, no less, at the Michigan Theater. Um, If you've seen it before, see it again. This is a a monumental uh, artistic work, and it's a rare opportunity to see it on the big screen. Yes, indeed, and I'm a little bummed that I missed the good, the bad, and the ugly last week. I was planning on going Tuesday night, but I unexpectedly got a cab run to Detroit. Uh, 
some boneheads wanted to go to the Tiger game. And, uh, yeah, we left Ann Arbor about uh, 15 minutes before the game started. (laughs) But they were business types, and uh, I believe American Express was paying the bill. Well, there you go. Anyway, um, obviously we'd like to uh, just acknowledge uh, the passing of Robin Cook, uh, Labor Secretary, uh, who resigned from the government in protest over Tony Blair's uh, Iraq war policy. Uh, Obviously, uh, I think most of the tributes to him pointed out that he was perhaps the best actual debater in Parliament uh, these days and uh, died rather prematurely couple of quick brain damage awards to get us going, and then a little letter to the editor uh, from our friend Brian Tomzik. <laughs> uh, first of all, i got to give uh, Congress a brain damage award for actually threatening to file perjury charges against Rafael Palmero. Palmero is a pretty famous slugger who uh, recently failed the steroid policy. And uh, when you put the context of his testimony compared to all the blatant lies that have been occurring from people like Condoleezza Rice and all sorts of administration officials in the Bush administration to go after a baseball player. Who is not in any way a public servant. No. Um, You know, to say uh, we'd look like fools if we didn't do something, according to uh, one of the chairman of uh, one of the congressional committees on the matter, strikes me as just... Mind-boggling. Uh, Palmero has obviously embarrassed himself more than anything. Uh, it, it, you know, questions, uh, calls into question maybe some of his uh, hitting records. And uh, for him to claim that he didn't intentionally take the steroid is, is rather bizarre. But uh, it demonstrates once again the triviality of how perjury charges are sometimes thrown around by Congress people without uh, really knowing what the heck they're talking about and without really understanding the relevance of what perjury is really all about. Um, So we just give them a brain damage award for even bringing up the subject, uh, given the context of all the blatant lies that have been um, uttered by uh, high-ranking officials in the Bush administration. And speaking of uh, embarrassing yourself, well... Mr. Novak apparently embarrassed himself right off of the program, swore, and I've got no problem with his swearing. That's, you know, always amusing. Um, But to stomp angrily off the set of your own program in a hissy fit um, is hardly, uh, you know, a good endorsement of your position. (laughs) So, uh, of course, uh, listeners are probably aware of the fact that he was in a dialogue, if you will, with James Carvel. And uh, Carvel making, I think, quite obviously a joke in jest, stating that, oh, he's got to come across tough so the right-wingers will know he's still hitting on their side. And, ah, that's bullcrap, and he stomped off, and he was fined and so forth. But uh, Mr. Novak, and uh, interesting article in uh, the Saturday, August 6th, New York Times, about uh, the long relationship that Carl Rove has enjoyed with Mr. Novak. Indeed. And, uh, in fact... There's been a similar episode like this where uh, Mr. Rove slipped a little information Novak's way. And uh, in that particular case in 1992, it got Rove fired from uh, the Bush campaign. Well, Novak. Bush the first, obviously. 
Novak's a, a editorialist or columnist, whatever you want to call him, uh, that all Americans should view with skepticism for a variety of reasons. We've noted uh, down here in some of our Watergate analysis that uh, he was uh, frequently provided with uh, leaky information, courtesy of Pat Buchanan and a variety of other Nixon White House officials during the Watergate uh, fiasco uh, while uh, the Republicans, of course, were trying to embarrass uh, either witnesses or uh, uh, officials investigating the crimes of the president. Um, Interestingly, one last note on that, this photograph which accompanies the article is a photo of Rove and uh, Robert Novak uh, together at June 2003 uh, anniversary celebration for Novak's column. And Carl Rove is wearing a button that says, I'm a source, not a target. <laughs> well, in yeah. fact, he's both Yeah. now. And he obviously is a source uh, when the White House is playing dirty politics. Uh, how uh, poetic justice, I guess, is uh, I'll just characterize this uh, energy bill as such. Uh, Bush, of course, signed this today as oil hit an all-time high. <laughs> um, of course, it's um, larded down with all sorts of subsidies for the uh, energy industry and certainly will do nothing uh, to either alleviate prices or uh, reduce America's dependence on foreign oil. What a joke. Well, and of course, uh, it's, it will certainly do a great deal to continue to enrich the coffers of our favorite medieval despots, the Saudi royal family, who, of course, uh, Dick Cheney rushed right off to go uh, hobnob with uh, the new King Abdullah. Um, interestingly, uh, today's Ann Arbor News tells us that there are warnings from the Saudi government um, to the American embassy there that there are renewed threats. Well, Dick Cheney... Bush the first, and I think uh, Colin Powell rushed off to warmly embrace and kiss and hug and hold hands and all that smoochy stuff that they like to do with the Saudi royal family. Um, this may have uh, triggered the warning. I don't know, but uh, interesting. And we'll give a quick brain damage award to the NRA. Uh, they're, of course, in the news <laughs> recently again. Uh, they are apparently leading a boycott of ConocoPhillips. Uh, there's all kinds of reasons to boycott them, but this isn't one of them. Apparently, um, they have filed an, an amicus brief in uh, a uh, federal lawsuit regarding uh, guns at work. They apparently uh, canned, um, let's see, 12 workers were fired. Let me get the facts here. After 12 workers, a state law was passed in Oklahoma after 12 workers were fired from a warehouser paper mill in 2002 when it was discovered that they had firearms in their parked cars. So apparently uh, the NRA thinks that Americans have a constitutional right to bring a gun to work. <laughs> uh, can you say post office? <laughs> this is just mind-bogglingly Foolish. Uh, this has got nothing to do with uh, the Second Amendment. This is just bizarre uh, behavior. Um, uh, you know. Well, and leaving a gun in a parked car, how does that protect anybody? I mean, you can't have it if you need to protect yourself from some sort of insurgency uh, elements right. at work. You, you may, in fact, lose it if somebody breaks into your car and steals it, and then there's more stolen guns on the uh, underground market. So, yeah, that's not doing anybody any favors. It's too bizarre to even believe, but uh, 
Wayne LaPierre. <laughs> oh, boy. He's always uh, in fights of symbolism. Well, one last brain damage award. This one is pretty petty and low level, but uh, amusing uh, all the same. Um, and this is from Pontiac. Um, a man gets two to 20 years for stealing a body. An Oakland County judge sentenced a man to two to 20 years in prison. Don't you see this one? Yeah, no. For mutilating a body stolen from a suburban Detroit hospital. A 22-year-old Detroiter confessed to the theft and told the circuit judge Monday that he and his co-defendants planned to use the body to smuggle cocaine and marijuana. <laughs> okay. Uh, apparently inspired by the CIA's antics uh, back in the 60s. Whoa, we've got uh, headphone oh, uh, yeah. hot headphones here. Um uh, apparently this individual was inspired by the CIA's uh, smuggling of uh, narcotics into the uh, Americas through uh, body bags of fallen Vietnam uh, soldiers. Anyway, to continue this brief article, uh, the perpetrator here and his two buddies stole the body of an 80 uh, stole the body of an 86 year old man from Providence Hospital in Southfield. Uh, they posed as funeral home workers, and police recovered the body in a trash bin. Now, <laughs> why they wanted to use a body to smuggle drugs, which, you know, you could just probably throw them in the back of the car and, you know, put some groceries over them or some mulch. Maybe they figured it would cover up the stench of the drugs. I don't know. Those people sound like they need psychiatric treatment immediately. I don't know if jail time is going to do them any good. Uh, I think they may need to go back to biology class. Um, In this kind of weather, too. An 86-year-old body, no less. Good gracious. Um, Some people, I don't know. They must have, yeah, dusted off a CIA manual. (laughs) Um, I wanted to read this very brief letter to the editor, uh, courtesy of Brian Tomzik, our good friend down here on WCBN. Brian, of course, hosts the uh, long-running reggae show on Saturday nights. I heard uh, right after you, actually. Yeah, Robot Pasta, and of course, uh, tomorrow as well with uh, Scoville. Train to Scoville uh, every Tuesday night from 7 to 8. But this is great, Uh, and this is in reference, and I read it only because last week, of course, the president came out and advocated the teaching of intelligent design along with uh, evolution. He says that it's a competing theory and has as much validity as evolution. So here's Brian Tomzik's uh, take on it, because I think it's brilliantly funny. He writes, in reference to the president's recent declarations of support for the teaching of creationist theories in public schools, if you're looking for proof that man descended from the apes, all you have to do is look at the White House. It seems to be populated by a whole host of missing links intent on taking us back to the Stone Age. Here, here. Indeed. Uh, murderous apes. And uh, so much for intelligent design. Um, I don't have time to go into the complexities of the problems there, but oh, it's a very one. interesting, um, you know, another social uh conflict here in America that just uh, bothers me. There's something about it, you know, you know, where you have this theory that because some religious people think that they can sort of cover up biblical teaching with a jazzed up phrase called intelligent design, 
Well, it's to, scary stuff. To me, it's a real sign of intellectual weakness to to not fathom this simple reality that the idea of evolution and the idea of a divine creator are not mutually exclusive. No. Uh, and I'm not advocating for one or the other of those positions, but they are not mutually exclusive. You can actually believe in both. My father is is an example of someone who does. So. Well, and Darwin himself, uh, indeed, was such a person. <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, pretty ridiculous, strange stuff, and it's it's more evidence of pandering to a uh, mindless religious right in America that is wrong about so many things. It's sort of like this big phony dispute about the Ten Commandments. You know, let's have right. these displayed uh, and. Let's not actually adhere to any of the commandments. <laughs> we don't care what they say, and we don't uh, care about uh, Christ's um, advice to practice what you preach. Uh, we just want the commandments on display because it will make our society more moral. I didn't bring in David Brooks's uh, bizarre editorial in uh, this weekend's New York Times, but uh, maybe I should next week because uh, he has some very weird analysis about how America is becoming a more more moral society uh, because uh, virginity is up, uh, abortions are down, <laughs> all kinds of weird statistics that he sort of plucks out of uh, the air to justify a theory. I'm trying to figure out how you would even yeah. calculate the finding that virginity is up. <laughs> well, this is apparently based on surveys of high school. Oh, and we know how accurate high schoolers yeah. are when mm -hmm. they're talking about their own individual sex lives. Too, uh, too bizarre. Um, very interesting article, by the way, in the uh, 7th of July's uh, London Review of Books about what's going on in Iraq with all the money. Um, today, of course, we had a, uh, a sort of a preliminary report about the oil for food uh, scandal. And yesterday, a, a high-ranking U.N. official... Resignation there, yeah. Yeah, resigned, I think, for pilfering $160,000 uh, out of a program that pretty much involved like $65 billion, as I recall. And uh, this uh, is a good example of how the media in America just doesn't cover things very thoroughly. Uh, of course, the London Review of Books is definitely a liberal uh, magazine, uh, book review, uh, and they... Uh, have very good analysis occasionally about American politics because uh, we don't like to cover that very thoroughly ourselves here. But I just wanted to read a couple of these paragraphs because I find some of this stuff mind-boggling, uh, and it's nothing new. Uh, it's been widely reported, by the way, that during the 1980s, uh, according to whistleblowers at the Pentagon, over a trillion dollars of defense spending is unaccounted for. And uh, when one looks at uh, perhaps the work of Theodore Shackley and Thomas Kleins and Oliver North and a variety of other people that uh, have worked for both the White House and the CIA and, and vice versa, um, many of these um, spooks and uh, black uh, bag operators, yeah, pra practitioners of skullduggery. Uh, are very adept at pilfering money uh, from the Treasury without anybody noticing or caring. And this is typical of what's actually going on in Iraq. So I just wanted to read a couple of paragraphs from Ed Harriman's analysis here, entitled, Where Has All the Money Gone? And this, by the way, I mean, he basically looks at um, government reports um, 
a congressional GAO report. Of course, it comes from the minority committee, <laughs> i.e. the Democrats, and uh, a variety of Pentagon um, advisory and monitoring boards. And there's just some startling information in here, so I'll just read a couple of things. He writes, on the 12th of April, 2004, the Coalition Provisional Authority in Erbil in northern Iraq handed over $1.5 billion in cash to a local courier. The money uh, was fresh $100 bill shrink-wrapped on pallets, which uh, filled three Black Hawk helicopters and came from oil sales under the UN's Oil for Food program, and it had been entrusted by the UN Security Council to the Americans to be spent on behalf of the American, pe- uh, the Iraqi people. The CPA Is cash. Yeah, <laughs> the CPA didn't properly check out the courier before handing over the cash, and as a result, according to the audit report by the CPA's Inspector General, quote, there was an increased risk of loss or theft of the cash. Paul Bremer, the American pro-counsel in uh, Baghdad until June last year, kept a slush fund of nearly $600 million for which there is no paperwork. $200 million of this was kept in a room in one of Saddam's former palaces, and the U.S. soldier in charge used to keep the key to the room in his backpack, <laughs> which he left on his desk when he popped out for lunch. <laughs> uh, real secure. Um... And th- th- this is basically three or four pages of, of these kinds of horror stories. Um, he writes, they have discovered, Ed Harriman, that $8.8 billion that passed through the new Iraqi government ministries in Baghdad while Bremer was in charge is unaccounted for, with little prospect for finding out where it went. A further $3.4 billion earmarked by Congress, for which Iraqi development has since been siphoned off to f- finance, quote, security. And then it goes on and on. It gives details about Halliburton, uh, which has, as he points out, um, KBR, which is Kellogg, Brown, and Root, and Halliburton have now been paid more than $10 billion for quartermastering U.S. forces in Iraq. And then he details how uh, Henry Waxman and his assistants found that Halliburton was charging $2.64 a gallon for petrol for Iraqi civilians, well, American forces were importing the same fuel for $1.57. Uh, the long and the short of this article is basically billions of dollars in Iraq is just missing, and the American government is responsible for all this total fiasco. Further proof of uh, poor planning, post-war planning, and an example of how the American media will not talk about this story, but will talk extensively about the U.N., Scandal, right. and they'll allow Norm Coleman, that uh, bonehead from Minnesota, to uh, maybe further his political ambitions by leading the charge on why Kofi Annan must go. Although, of course, Kofi Annan has, has been the uh, Americans' hand-picked man all the way from the start. Yeah. Uh, originally, uh, there was a, a different African... Um, that most of the U.N. would would rather have seen in charge, and Kofi Annan was the preferred American choice. So uh, the other fellow was scotched uh, in the name of Kofi Annan. Well, we'll have to return to that one because that story is not uh, not quite finished, obviously. Um, 
Really quickly here, um, interesting article again from uh, over the weekend, headlined, Some bombs used in Iraq are made in Iran, the U.S. says. Well, what they say and what they can prove might not necessarily be the same thing, and it's a little suspicious when the weapons in question are um, alternately described as sophisticated and crude. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the new, this article is by Eric Schmidt, many of the new, more sophisticated roadside bombs used to attack American and government forces, blah, 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 U.S. military and intelligence officials said on Friday. Well, a little bit further down in the article, we're told that the design of these weapons is crude, but effective, especially, as it turns, when you're driving an amphibious vehicle in the desert. Yes, the 14 Marines uh, tragically killed last week uh, died almost certainly because the vehicle in which they were being transported was for the water. Yeah, and of course... Um, That's mind-numbing right there. I found it very interesting that, of course, we have on Sunday a, uh, a big story in the New York Times, in the media, about how the United States now thinks... Uh, by next year, we can withdraw twenty to 30,000 troops. How interesting that that is leaked, uh, obviously, by somebody in the Bush administration to sort of counteract all of the bad uh, publicity from Iraq just last week. You know, I was checking out the figures on this. The On the date that the Saddam Hussein's uh, statue was yanked down by the American tank, uh, the 9th of April, 85 troops had died in Iraq. It's now over 1820, and nearly 15,000 with serious wounds. Uh, the casualty count is well over 15,000. I'm talking here about dead and wounded, and uh, that is just a staggering percentage of the American uh, military uh, force there. Um, so, of course, there is a conveniently leaked story, um, shall we say, light at the end of the tunnel, Um <laughs> Uh, re-election problems that some of the GOP may be having if the uh, if if these casualty uh, counts continue right. uh, for think, their re-election next year. And I think the story about uh, some of the weapons being made in Iran is a potential false lead leak as well, because the article, uh, to Eric Schmidt's credit, does quote some uh, weapons experts. Um, who suggest that that this is fairly ludicrous that the Shia majority in uh, Iran would would very unlikely be willing to uh, export weapons that would be used against a potential Shia ally, sure. Because the Shiites are, you know, in the greater numbers in the coalition that's trying to run this show over in uh, Iraq. There, so um, it's just a, another opportunity to tar uh, Iran and to kind of d- again distract from the current imbroglio and suggest. Well, it's actually much bigger than just Iraq, so don't hold your breath. Yeah, and of course, Iran is continuing to be in the news because of the uh, uh, so-called resumption of nuclear weapons. Um, And, you know, after reading um, this very interesting book, Prelude to Terror, The Rogue CIA and the Legacy of America's Private Intelligence Network by Joseph Trento, a superb book, by the way, just because it goes into all of the... Uh, stories beneath the stories, the details about BCCI and how mm-hmm. the Bush administration, uh, George Bush's father, um, basically had his own little uh, intelligence operatives working in uh, 
and off the books, uh, former CIA people that had f- started companies and that the Pakistani and Saudi um, intelligence agencies were doing all sorts of nefarious things in uh, um, the Middle East in general. And one of the more interesting um, details is about the uh, death of Zia ul Haq in uh, on the eight, uh, 17th of August, 1988. One of them there, mysterious plane crashes. Yeah, basically the plane uh, blew up in midair uh, 10 minutes after taking off. And uh, Trento writes, and I'll just quote this little paragraph briefly, uh, in 1989, an article by Edward J. Epstein, more on him some other time, offered a disturbing argument that the United States was not unhappy to see Zia go and had no great interest in finding out who was responsible. Um, Epstein argued that the U.S. could foresee an amenable alternative, the replacement of the Zia dictatorship with all of its Cold War intrigues with the ed- elected government headed by the attractive Harvard-educated Benazir Bhutto with the prospect the State Department had little interest in rocking the boat. Ambassador, uh, American Ambassador Robert Oakley told me in Islamabad, the decision was apparently made just hours after the charred remains of Zia were buried. Flying back from the funeral, Secretary of State George Shultz recommended that the FBI kept, be kept out of the investigation, even though the FBI had statutory authority for investigating crashes involving Americans and its counterterrorism division had already assembled a team of forensic experts to search for evidence in the crash. It then complied with the request. Now, to refresh my memory, the American involved in that crash was... The American ambassador. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, and some other high-ranking officials. Um, so it's very interesting that, of course, this blatant act of terrorism, in, in which Americans, uh, a few died, and, of course, Zia al-Haq was our man in Islamabad, so to speak, uh, borrowing a phrase there from J- uh, Graham Greene uh, about s- skullduggery, um, it, it's very interesting that the investigation was called off. Indeed. Well, not too surprising, however. Uh, we've just been given the one-minute warning. I guess uh, Jerry Mack and uh, Yes, your City Calling will be up shortly. But, hey, since Bush is on vacation again, yeah. it's nice to know that uh, Cindy Sheehan, a 48-year-old mother of a deceased uh, American soldier, uh, has decided to camp out outside 